Welcome to the Exhale Podcast, a candid conversation about current matters relating to respiratory, diagnostic, and lung health. Today's hosts are Mark Russell, Marketing Communications Manager and Troy Pridgen, Executive Vice President of Sales and Operations for Vitalograph in North America, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. Today, we talked to the asthma lady, Linda Nozart. We had a passionate conversation about empowering families to gain asthma control through education. Well, welcome, Linda. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to be on with you today. Well, please give us a little background on yourself, education, experience, and what your current responsibilities are. Sure. I'm a registered respiratory therapist, and I'm a certified asthma educator. And I have been a respiratory therapist since 2008, so what, 14 years now. My history is, well, I I can share you my story on how I started my work in community engagement and in asthma awareness and fighting asthma disparities. I started as a night shift respiratory therapist at a level one trauma center in 2008. And in 2010, I was covering the night shift in the PDER. I had a pediatric patient that came in with asthma. So the story is that he went into cardiac arrest three times due to asthma status asthmaticus. And, you know, so by the time I got him, he, it was a five-year-old boy. He was in very bad shape. I was the one that had to put him on the vent. And his mom was saying, you know, put him on his prednisone, put him on his prednisone. Uh, So clearly the mom knows what the routine is but the grandmother was there as well. And she was very quiet. And as I was putting him on the vent, I can see the grandmother, her heart broke in half as I was putting him on the vent. And this is the story is that um, he was in her care. She was in the kitchen cooking and he was in the living room playing and she did not realize he was having a full blown asthma attack. And by the time she realized what was going on, he was completely blue and the treatment was no longer able to work. So by the time we got him, he was in very, very bad shape. And this affected me a lot because he didn't make it. He didn't make it during that shift. And it was the first shift that I cried after work. And uh, it wasn't that he was the first child I had that passed away. The reason why I was so emotional was because I knew for the rest of that grandmother's life, she would have to live with the fact that her grandson died in her care. And this hit me hard. And I made a decision that I never wanted that to happen to another family ever again. So this is what led me on to the path of being an asthma educator and a respiratory therapist and has led me on this journey um, of doing this type of work. So yeah, that's that's the short version of it. Well, it sounds like a, a, quite a, a experience that you've had there. And it sounds like, you know, if there'd been a little more awareness or perhaps the, the rescue inhaler had, had been delivered sooner, there might've been a, a better outcome uh, in, in, that, in that situation. Right, um, exactly. I mean, we, yeah, we, we know like inhalers are the most common type of medication that's used for asthma treatment, but 
it's amazing how often that, that they're just used suboptimally or like you said that they don't know when they are supposed to be used i was actually a personal story in, in a, a restaurant in joplin missouri and uh, the waitress came by running uh, asking if anyone knew cpr and i, I stood up and went over to the table and of course the person was not choking they were having an asthma attack and i asked if they had a rescue inhaler uh, it turns out she had it in her purse the whole time um, but she was panicking uh, and didn't, didn't think right. to get it. My, my wife, uh, being the action-oriented woman, she has grabbed her purse and just upended it on the table. And, uh, you know, we were able to, to get her out of that situation. Why do you think that it is so often the case that, that the inhalers are, are not used as well as they should be or, or as soon as they should be, which, of course, leads to these exacerbations, hospitalizations, and even morbidities, as you point out, as well as, as of course, the costs and things that, that go along with that. Well, why is that such a prevalent problem? I'm going to speak from my perspective and from what I see and from my experiences. So I work in urban setting, which is where I am, which is in Brooklyn, New York. We work in a high-risk population. So we are a hotspot for asthma. And for what we see is usually the clinical team or providers we tend to be like, well, the family is not, you know, and, and speaking from a pediatric point of view, because we mainly speak, we mainly work with pediatric patients, is that we think that the family is not adhering to the treatment plan or something to that, to that matter. But what we've come to realize is there are so many social economical issues happening at one time. So it may be that a family is not able to, or the caregiver, the, the guardian is not able to pick up the medication because of issues in relation to not physically being able to go pick it up. It could be something like they can't afford the medication, which you, you mentioned. It could be anything related to actually the transportation to getting to pick up the medication. It could be a timing issue where we have folks that have more than one job and it's another thing to add on to the plate. So we have a few things happening at the same time and all of these things are competing for lack of words what somebody needs to do at any given time. So the average family in these high-risk populations are they're overwhelmed with things on their to-do list that is a priority. So it could be something as important as not being able to provide food for today. <laughs> so it may not be the priority to get the inhaler today. <laughs> and that's what we're seeing. So what we try to do is on our end as um, asthma educators and case managers is provide as much resources as possible to help out with the social economical issues, as well as trying to get the patient to get them the inhaler that they need. Linda, do you think that the healthcare industry and associations and the insurance payers establish good guidelines, or do you think that they could do more out there to help people train on inhaler, especially for new users, and, and, and maybe develop a protocol to check current patients when they do come in for a checkup? the National Institution of Health Guidelines, our National Asthma Guidelines, it is written to review inhaler technique at every appointment with patients. So the language is in there 
to perform this at every visit. Now, does every provider perform this? Uh, no, <laughs> because a lot of PCPs, primary care providers, do not have the time to provide this level of education and review inhaler technique. But it is written, it's just creating the protocol. So once again, this is kind of like issue of manpower and resources, like just what's available at the time. So that's why programs like ours, like asthma education programs, and these type of resources are important because we are the extension of the provider and we are able to provide those resources and work with patients on, on this level. Linda, I understand that you, you got an inhaler training device recently. Uh, how has that helped when you check an inhaler technique? So we've had the aerosol inhaler monitor since 2015, so it's not, not that recent, I guess, but we've used it as part of our asthma education engagement process. And so basically, it's how we engage with patients. So we provide education on inhaler technique and the benefits of using a spacer along with the inhaler. So with the aerosol inhalation monitor, we're able to check the actual efforts with and without a spacer, but we show the importance of using the spacer in real time. So this is this allows us to observe in real time return demonstration on the technique, So, which is very important. And once again, we want to do this at every appointment and it really helps us with the engagement. Real time is important. You're watching the patient use that right in front of you to make sure that you can guide them. So this has definitely helped you with a lot of misuse and poor techniques. And can you elaborate what you have found with some of the patients on some of this poor training? Yes. So <laughs> so the long answer is yes. Once again, it does help us with engagement with patients in their own asthma self-management. So I always like to remind everyone that asthma is a chronic lung disease. So it will be with the patient basically for the rest of their lives. So they have to be engaged in all of this. We can't tell them what to do. It's a partnership. And so devices such as the, the aerosol inhaler monitor and are working together on inhaler technique helps us build rapport, a partnership, and this stuff takes time. Um, and ultimately, that does help with inhaler technique and, and making sure that they, they are doing everything appropriately. So the answer is, is yes, <laughs> it helps with poor inhaler technique. Have you found that patients uh, such as children as compared to adults, the either or pick it up quicker or is it about the same? As we know, kids and adults, everything has to be age appropriate. So when it comes to asthma education and asthma management and the guidelines, everything is around just being appropriate, um, the age group. And yes, when it comes to using devices such as the Arizona inhaler monitor, it helps engage children a lot. Actually, they really like it. And, and you know, we use it along with pictures and or videos. So yes, there's a big difference between the two. And adults, they also want to see like, oh, well, well, am I doing this the right way? <laughs> so it helps us engage them as well. And, um, and we use this along with their quote unquote why, like what makes them 
do what they do. So we try to find out, well, is it the child that motivates them? So if they have kids, we try to incorporate the child and their their why and, you know, what's their version of living their best life. So we always try to stick with, with those themes. And yes, that helps along with the device. We uh, used to have a saying when I was in clinical that uh, pediatrics are not just little adults. Uh, so I think you, you you kind of highlight that point very well uh, <laughs> that, you know, it, it takes a completely different approach to training them. So with, with regards to the costs of, you know, medications and, and readmissions, uh, you know, does the training uh, for the, the new users of, of inhalers or refreshers, I suppose, for, for those who've been using them for a while, does that really help lower the financial burden for them? You know, I always have a long answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> <That's> like, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> that is the theme because, you know, I want, I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm making things clear as I can on my, on my end. So alongside education and care management services, the answer is yes, it does help lower the financial burden. So once we give patients the resources that they need, they have access to it and things are simple treatment plans and that partnership that I was talking about is all in line. Yes, it definitely helps with the financial burden and we see it. Yeah, we, we, we the proof is in the pudding. Absolutely. So we met at the AARC and I saw that you also have a podcast, the RT Share Tea. What inspired you to do a podcast? Oh, <laughs> well, actually, I created the podcast, the RT Share Tea podcast during my maternity leave. I was out on maternity and I did oh, a God. presentation called how to, how to Be a Happier Respiratory Therapist. Mm-hmm. And take control of your career. And I I was expecting 60 people and, and I thought that was going to be a good turnout. And I end up getting 849 respiratory therapists, which was a uh, huge surprise to me um, when I was doing this presentation. But the tone that I heard was, of course, just like the, the rest of the country, what we're seeing is Respiratory therapists are dealing with burnouts and because, of course, COVID and shortages and, you know, there was just a a tone of people not speaking well about the profession because of those things. So the purpose behind the podcast was to uplift the profession, pump out positivity and also speak on my work as a fighting asthma disparities. So I do this as the asthma lady. (laughs) So it just kind of helps me to put out this positive tone for respiratory therapists and showcase what we do across the country and just be um, united. So it's been a great experience and I've been getting a lot of support and yeah, we're we're growing. Amazing. That's great. I tell you, last year, we uh, did a, uh, a series of interviews of respiratory therapists for Respiratory Therapy Week and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, kind of interviewed some people across the country to share their experiences of what they were dealing with, with COVID and such. And it was, there were some heartwarming stories there and right. it really needed to be said. I think a lot of people in the public uh, before COVID really didn't realize what a respiratory therapist did. And then now that uh, we had this pandemic, it seemed that people, that it kind of pushed forward uh, how important a respiratory therapist is. And uh, I don't think they understood what their role was until COVID came up. And I'm glad exactly. you did that. 
because uh, you've got to band together and, and share your experiences. It helps helps people be stronger and inform them better of what's going on. Can you share any stories that you had uh, experienced during COVID with your podcast? <laughs> for for us on our end, we we work in New York City, <laughs> so we were in the ground yeah. zero for COVID. So can you imagine we do community engagement? We're in the hospital as well as in the community, as well as in the patient's homes. So you can imagine the the level of chaos <laughs> that was, even for myself as a respiratory therapist, as a program director. And I was also pregnant, by the way. <laughs> so crazy, just, just, just crazy. As, as far as the program, I had to think on my feet fast how to transition from going into patients' homes and go into the virtual space. So this on its own was very stressful because we're still expected to provide the services and we were contracted, you know, is a, a grant with the Department of Health. So uh-huh. we had to figure all those details out and I had to come up with asthma care packages <laughs> very quickly and make sure that patients have what they need to, just like these questions you're asking, make sure they have the resources that they need to keep them out of the emergency room and the inpatient units for asthma. They're very difficult, and and especially at a very difficult time. Yes, (laughs) chaos, but we made it. Yes, we have, and that's great. It's resources like yourself that really has helped a lot of other people get through all this, and that is wonderful. So your podcast, if they're interested, if they're an RT and want to listen to your podcast, I'm sure it's on pretty much every platform that's out there, uh, and we'll make sure that when we post this podcast, we'll put a link to it. Sure, sure. Thank you, Mark. So the podcast, RT Share Tea, is a lighthearted podcast with me as your host, as the asthma lady. So it's on, I want to say, yeah, most of them, the podcast platforms, and I'm on YouTube on Thursdays as well. So, and it's for all healthcare professionals, those that are interested in the respiratory care field, respiratory care students, and those that just want to know in general what we do and career development tips as well. That's great. Yeah, YouTube, I keep forgetting. Uh, we got on YouTube, didn't know that was a, a specific platform for a lot of podcast listeners. And so <laughs> yes. yeah, I'm learning as I go. So it's, it's kind of Mark, Let me tell you something. When I started podcasting, my husband was like, Linda, I'm going to turn on the camera. And I was like, what? I was like, I was like, you're going to turn on the camera on right now while I'm doing this. And he was like, he was like, yeah, some people, there are going to be some people that are going to want to put a face to the voice. And I wasn't comfortable with that at first, but he did it. And it has been going, it has been going well. So some people, the original podcast platform is not for them, but you always want to give people options. So that's my advice to you, Mark. Absolutely. (laughs) Go with it. I appreciate that. That's really good. Linda, thank you so much for being on our podcast. And we we learned so much what has been happening in your world up there in New York City. And we appreciate you sharing. Thank you so much again for the invite. I really appreciate it. You know, I just love sharing. You've reached the end of another episode of the Exhale podcast. Don't forget to follow us for upcoming new episodes and recommend this podcast to friends and family. 
Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again on the Exhale Podcast, brought to you by Vitalograph. <laughs>